0: Hey, good morning everyone and welcome to Hope. Uh, My name is Scott Rains. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to see all of you this morning. Hopefully you had a great Christmas and holiday season. Maybe you got to travel a little bit uh, for sure. Hopefully you got a break from school or from work and uh, the regular rhythm and regular routine of your life. But now we're back into the regular rhythm and that's kind of good too. I think Maybe my hope actually is some of you are here, this is not part of your regular rhythm. It's not part of your regular routine, but start of a new year, 2018, and and you said maybe we should take our faith a little more seriously. Uh, Maybe we should dig into what it is that we believe when it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, and and if that's you and that's why you're here, we just want to say we are so glad that you are here. Those of us who make coming to worship at Hope part of our regular rhythm and routine, We could make a similar resolution that this year, 2018, we're going to take our faith more seriously and we're going to seek out some of the answers to those big questions that we have about life and faith. I I think it doesn't really matter if you're a Christian or not, a Jesus person or not, a Bible person or not. I think every single one of us in this room, we are here because in some way we wonder, what difference does my faith make for my day-to-day life? Does my faith in God, does having faith in God, can that change anything in my life. And of course, that gets us to Walter White. Uh, That episode we just watched is from the pilot episode of a groundbreaking TV show called Breaking Bad. It was on AMC for five seasons, and some critics say it's the best TV show ever created, and you can have arguments and debates about that if you want. I mean, it's no ALF, but... (laughs) Remember ALF? Alien life form? I don't know where that came from. Anyway... uh, It was nominated for 58 Emmys, and um, hardly anybody watched it. The fourth season, the finale episode of the fourth season, viewership was 1.9 million people, which, I mean, if we had 1.9 million people show up for worship, we'd be pretty excited about it. But for a TV show, that's not that huge of an audience. But something happened between season four and season five. Netflix got a hold of Breaking Bad. And word of mouth, people saying, have you seen it? Have you seen it? And people were able to binge watch this show to be able to be caught up in time for season five. By the time you got to the series finale, the end of season five, viewership had gone up 422 percent i was doing some math if our attendance at weekend worship at hope ankeny were to go up 422 percent we'd be over 6,000 people at the end of this year and we'd have to have like 20 services which so let's do it should we make that our goal i think my voice will hold up or you could just show the video we'll make that anyway um Walter White is played by Bryan Cranston, this actor who does, one of the reasons the show works is he's able to portray this ridiculous story in a way that becomes believable. He's a really kind of gentle, mild-mannered chemistry teacher in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and in that scene we just watched, he's trying to help his students understand what chemistry is. He says it's growth, then decay, then transformation. Growth then decay then transformation and and that line sort of becomes a metaphor for Walter White's life. Later in that episode he has this cough he can't shake, he goes to the doctor, ends up getting an MRI, finding out he has inoperable lung cancer, they give him a couple of years to live. And he enters into this period of decay. This experience of decay in his life causes Walter White to say, I know what I'm going to do with the short amount of time I have left. I'm going to use my skills as a chemist to create this chemical compound, crystal mess. And I'm going to sell it and make a ton of money. And that's really the only way I can love and care for and provide for my family. I know it's just a ridiculous plot, isn't it? But it works. It works. Partly because of uh, the writing and the creativity of this show. He convinces himself early on, I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for my wife. I'm doing it for my children. But as the show goes on, it becomes clear, there is a lust for more within Walter White. More power, more control, more money, more influence. And this transformation takes place in his life. He goes from being this gentle chemistry teacher, Walter White, he ends up becoming this violent narcissistic, maniacal drug kingpin named Heisenberg. It's a fascinating storyline. It's a pretty powerful storyline for a binge-worthy TV show. It's also a powerful storyline for a binge-worthy book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. I would encourage you to bring your Bible with you to worship every week. Um, We'll put important text and and passages up on the screen, but if you have your Bible or your Bible app with you, you keep the pastor honest, because I can't just make stuff up and, and say this is what the Bible says if I know you're actually following along. So bring your Bible with you. Genesis chapter 1, it begins with the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth, and there's a formula to this. God speaks, something is created by, by the word of God, and then God labels everything that God has created, it's good. God speaks, something's created, whatever gets created is good. And this is kind of the growth stage, right? We're growing from nothing to something, from darkness to light. We're growing from Chaos and disorder, and everything is all of a sudden coming into order. You turn the page to Genesis chapter 2, and you get kind of a longer account of the creation of Adam and Eve and how they are placed in the Garden of Eden and its paradise. Uh, there are beautiful trees, there's delicious fruit, and they kind of have the run of everything. There's just the one tree in the middle of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says kind of stay away from that one. But otherwise, they're with God. Their relationship with God is great. It's the kind of relationship we would all want. They walk with God in the garden daily. And then you turn the page to chapter 3, and we enter this decay. Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, and suddenly everything that God created good... It gets tainted, uh, twisted, distorted, damaged, broken. Everything that used to be easy is now really difficult. Life becomes hard work. Turn the page to Genesis chapter 4. They have a couple sons, Cain and Abel. Their sibling rivalry turns murderous. Turn the page to chapter 5, and it's this genealogical list The descendants of Adam. Here's the father, here's the son, here's their son, grandson, great-grandson, all the way down. By the time you get to the end of chapter 5, verse 28, we're introduced to a man named Lamech. And it says, when Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. How awful would that be? (laughs) Anyway, that's what it says. And if you have your Bible, you can look it up. Um, He names his son Noah. Because Noah sounds like the Hebrew word for relief or comfort. Lamech's like, life is so hard, so awful, so terrible, so painful. I'm going to name my son Relief and Comfort, hoping that maybe he can provide some of that in this world that's gone wrong. Then you turn the page to chapter 6, and and that's actually how it begins. My Bible has uh, uh, subtitles for the different chapters and different sections within the chapters. And the subtitle at the beginning of chapter 6, it says, A World Gone Wrong. And then it describes how wrong this world has gone. Let's read this verse out loud together, Genesis 6, verse 5. It's on the screen, read it out loud with me. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally Evil. If you had to give a title to the first six chapters of the Bible, Breaking Bad wouldn't be a bad title, right? First two chapters, everything's going up and to the right. Then chapter three, four, five, and six, it's just this dramatic fall. Everything breaks bad, and it's actually worse than bad. Consistently and totally evil. Try to imagine how awful that must be. Consistently and totally evil. How does God respond? writer Genesis says God is sorry he even started the process of creation in the first place. Let's just destroy everything, let's wipe everything out and, and start over. And some people say, yeah, that's who I figured God was. This is actually a story of a God who breaks bad. This good and creative God all of a sudden gets angry and violent when things don't go God's way. Well, look a little closer. How does God respond when things go wrong? It broke God's heart. It broke God's heart. It's growth decay, transformation, in comes Noah's flood. Relief, comfort is what Noah means. This flood washes away all of that evil. The New Testament writers will refer to Noah's flood as a picture of baptism. Baptism, this flood of God's love and mercy and grace that cleanses us of our sin, that washes away everything that has gone wrong, everything that's broken and damaged and distorted in our lives, so that we can be transformed, so that our relationship with God and with one another can be transformed. And baptism is where we are going to end the service today. All weekend long, at the end of every service, we've extended an invitation. Anyone who wants you to come to the waters of baptism and to be baptized for the first time, or if you've already been baptized, to renew your baptism. And the simple reason we are doing this is because the biblical story is our story. What happens to the people that we read about in the pages of Scripture is what happens to us over the course of our life. You, you look at this life of Walter White. He's got a good life. Things are going pretty well. He, he's got a respectable job. He's a teacher in the local high school. He's got a wife and kids. And of course, there are some things that he wishes were a little different. He has to take a part-time job at a car wash because they need a little extra you know, cash because they're getting ready to have another baby. But for the most part, it's a good life. And then comes this unexpected news. And it causes Walter White to break bad, this horrible transformation in his life. We live in a pretty good part of the world, don't we? It's not paradise, but it's pretty good. And even in the midst of this good place where we live and the good lives that we've been blessed with, we're not immune from the bad. We're not immune from things that go terribly wrong. This church is filled with men and women who have stories, growth, and decay, and transformation. There's a man in this church, his name is Dave Russell. I sat down with him a couple of weeks before Christmas, and I just wanted to be able to hear his story and share some of it with you. So here's a part of Dave Russell's story. Take a look.
1: My name is Dave Russell. It was a typical, you take things for granted, you don't know what's really important, you, do, you think you're doing well, but... You don't know how well you could do. It's a typical American, I need a big job, I need a big car, I need a big house, I need a nice family. And you know, I gotta be better than the Joneses next door. Yeah, golf, uh, kids activities, sports, travel. Uh, I work for a company, so my wife that would uh, have business trips and that was always pleasant most of the time. Sometimes they get old, uh, but it's just, you know, it was the rat race thing that you don't know you're in. You know, you, you think you're the normal, average Joe, family, career, everything's looking good. House, cars, all this good stuff. And you go to church and things like that, you know, and you have grandkids. And and all of a sudden, things change. On July 3rd, 2015, I had a stroke. It was a subdural hematoma. Um, They said I wouldn't live in the morning if they didn't operate that night. Next thing I remember was about 28 days later. I was in ICU about 23, 24 days. I was coherent, I would talk to you, I would joke with you, I'd cry with you. I made you mad, but I don't remember any of it. A doctor who happens to go here to Hope, I was uh, being examined by him one afternoon and I was telling him like, you know, I wish people would just tell me the truth and not sugarcoat everything and be nice to me. And he goes, what do you mean? He says, well, everybody says I'm doing great. And I know I'm not doing great. I still can't walk or I can't do this. He said, he got kind of upset with me. And I want, you know, he says, yelled at me, Dave Russell, how long you been here? I said, three weeks. He says, no, you're not, it's two and a half. And two and a half weeks ago, you were this close to death. If you don't want to get up and go look in that mirror and see that you're not a better, you got another thing coming buddy. A week later he comes and visits me again and I was on insulin, now I'm on taking uh, pills. So I thanked him for that. And he says, well, you know how that was, I was able to do that? And I thought, well, you better sugar sugarcoat this thing. So I said, oh, because you're such a good doctor, you know, and your staff is very good. No, because every night I pray to God, For Dave Russell, he tells me how to handle your situation. There's so many things that help you get around that curve, and that was one of them, and have that someone else be that faithful for you, why can't you be faithful for yourself?
0: You know, as a pastor, I get to go to a lot of rooms and hospitals that I'd rather not go into, and I remember when... I got called down to go and, and visit Dave and his wife Lisa was there and some of their kids and it was in that 24-day period when he was in the ICU and, and the, when the doctor says you were this close to death, that's not an exaggeration. I, I did not think there was going to be a good outcome uh, to this story. Dave is in, uh, on with life. He's, he's facing something. I mean, he has this good life and everything's going the way that he wants it to go. It's kind of going according to script and then something happens that you're not planning for, that's unexpected, and how do you respond? He's in this kind of crossroads point in his life. Which direction is he going to go? And we'll get to how Dave responds later on in the message, but before we do, let me just ask you, how do you respond? How do you respond when it seems like things aren't going according to script in your life, at your workplace, in, in your relationships, with your health? It's one of the central questions of faith. And of course we've got options, we can choose to break bad, Uh, we can give up, we can give in, we can say there is no God, we can go our own way, but that's not the only option. How do you respond when things aren't going according to script? How about we take a look at some Old Testament history, doesn't that sound like a good idea? People love Old Testament history, no, nobody loves Old Testament history, nobody ever wants to look at Old, but we're going to do it because I love you, and because when we look at Old Testament history, here's, here's what we see. We see a God who shows up in the pages of Scripture almost all the time when people are pretty much convinced life's not going according to script. So here's a timeline of the Old Testament. Sometimes people say the Bible is so big. How do you even start to make sense of it in kind of manageable chunks? This breaks it up a little bit. I I know you can't read it, but it's got different colors, and so maybe that'll keep your attention. So um, this is ten just periods of time in the history of the Old Testament. Creation matriarchs and patriarchs, slavery in Egypt, the exodus, wilderness wanderings, time in the promised land, then there's this uh, period of time called the monarchy where they have a king and then a divided monarchy, and then the final period is exile. And part of what we see when we, we look at this timeline of Old Testament history, God shows up in these times where it doesn't seem like things are going according to script. We already looked at an example from creation. It doesn't seem like it's going the way that they were planned when you get to chapter 3 and the pages beyond. When God is sorry they even began the process of creation, that seems like it's not going according to script. You get to Genesis chapter 12 and this growth, then decay, then transformation. God's doing this transformation plan. And it starts with a guy named Abram about 1,700 years uh, before Jesus is born. And God says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of a great nation, the nation of Israel. They're going to be the people of God. And eventually all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. But then things don't go according to script. If you're going to be the father of a great nation... You need to have children. And Abram and his wife, Sarah, matriarchs and patriarchs, they don't have any children. What is Abram going to do? Is he going to trust God's plan? Or is he going to come up with some other plan? And if you know the story, uh, (laughs) uh, anyway, if you don't know the story, bring your Bible and read it. Genesis chapter 12 and and on. Um, They end up The family ends up eventually in Egypt because Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. His favorite is Joseph, and the other 11 brothers hate that he's the favorite, so they sell him as a slave, and I'm not suggesting that that's a good strategy for you to do if you don't like your brother or sister, but they sell Joseph as a slave into Egypt. Can you imagine how many nights Jacob, the father, is laying awake in bed thinking things aren't going according to script? Or Joseph sitting in prison, thinking things aren't going according to script. But eventually they're reconnected. They rise uh, in in power and prestige there in the land of Egypt. It's actually going really pretty well. Until a king, a pharaoh in Egypt arises who forgets about Joseph. And he's kind of scared of what the Hebrews are doing. as They multiply and multiply and get bigger and bigger. So he enslaves them. For 400 years they're slaves in Egypt. How often do you think, generation after generation, do they ask, this can't be going according to script? God sends Moses to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Pharaoh eventually lets the people go, but then he changes his mind. And so Moses and the people are trapped between the Red Sea and the most powerful army in the world, and they're crying out because things aren't going according to script. Then God shows up, and God rescues, and God delivers, and God saves. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years, complaining because there's no food, God provides food. Complaining because there's no water, God provides water. Uh, Scared to death because they send spies into the promised land and it's filled with giants and they're going to squash us and God rescues and saves and protects. Things are pretty good in the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, but every once in a while, they are oppressed by these foreign uh, uh, enemies, the Midianites, the Philistines, and others, and they cry out to God because things aren't going according to script, and God sends a judge like Samson or Gideon or Deborah to rescue and to save from their oppression. They look around, they see everybody else has a king. Why can't we have a king like everyone else? So God lets them have a king. first king's not so good, but king number two is David. About a 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus, and again, we're starting to become a great nation. The territory expands. They grow in terms of wealth and, and prestige in the region. David's son, Jonathan, the same kind of thing happens. But then there's civil war, and this united monarchy is divided. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. In the year 722, the Assyrian empire comes in and squashes, completely wipes out, annihilates the northern kingdom. In the year 586, the Babylonian Empire comes in, and they wipe out the southern kingdom, including the city of Jerusalem. It's in rubble. The temple that David and Solomon built is in rubble. The palace where the king lived, it's in rubble. And they kill a bunch of people, and those who survive, they carry them away to Babylon as captives, where they live in exile. Now, think about this story. It begins, this plan of transformation, God says to Abram, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And now, however many years later, about a thousand years later, eleven hundred years later, they're in exile in a foreign land, they've been humiliated, they've been mocked, they've been defeated and destroyed. Imagine they go to worship some Sabbath day while they're in exile, In the Bible reading is Genesis chapter 12, this promise of God to their ancestor Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. Wouldn't they be looking around at each other like, this doesn't seem to be going according to script. This is how God curses those who treat us with contempt? It seems like God is cursing us. In exile, in Babylon, God speaks to the people through the prophet Jeremiah. And I want you to just listen. Again, imagine yourself... You've been dragged out of your home by an enemy. You've been, you know, marched halfway across the known world. And you're sitting there in this place where you do not want to be just completely devastated. And then God says this to you. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He has exiled the Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that they may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. It's not what the people of Israel would have been expecting. In fact, if you read some of the Psalms that are in our Bible, Some of the Psalms are written while the people are in exile, and they talk about how awful exile is. They're mourning, they are grieving because they long for things to be the way they were back when they were in Jerusalem. The last place they want to be is Babylon. The last thing they want to do is pray for good things to happen to the people of Babylon, to the cities of Babylon, and yet that's what God asks them to do. And they're like, this cannot possibly be the script. But God's like, oh, yeah, it is. Because God keeps going. And we get to this verse in Jeremiah 29, where many of you have probably heard these words before. This plan that God has for the people of Israel. Where is God taking them? Let's read this verse out loud together. Jeremiah 29, 11. It's on the screen. Read it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. When you find yourself in those seasons in life when things aren't going according to script, the Old Testament history is a powerful reminder to us that actually things probably are going according to script. It's growth, then decay, then transformation. That's the script. And you might not like the script, and I wouldn't blame you if you don't really like the script, but I've been in ministry for 22 years. I've I've never talked to one person who has gotten to the end of their life without following this script. One person who's gotten to the end of their life where I haven't had any trouble. Nothing's ever gone wrong in my life. Everything's gone exactly the way I wanted. I've not talked to one person who can tell me that. This is the script. And the question of faith is how do we respond when we go through this season of decay because it feels like, it feels like in those times that this cannot possibly be the way it's supposed to go. And so a lot of people choose the way of Walter White. They break bad. The only way to make sense of what's happening in my life where it seems like everything's going terribly wrong is to believe there must not be a God. Or if there is a God, God, I don't like God. God's not very nice. God's kind of mean and so we turn away from faith, we turn away from God's plan, God's good plan for a future and a hope, and we start to make our own plan. And really, that's what Walter White does. The only thing with choosing to make your own plan and follow your own path is you're going to end up hurting everyone around you. Again, this is Walter White. I'm doing it for my wife. I'm doing it for my kids. He keeps telling himself, he keeps telling himself, but it doesn't take very long before he realizes, no, that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I kind of like it. I'm doing it because I don't trust anyone but myself to make life work out the way I want it to go. He's playing God. Take a look. Did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit in the garden? No, 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 no. That's not what God said. God said we can eat all the fruit, just not the fruit of the tree of the garden of good and evil. If we eat it, we'll die. Oh, you're not going to die. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. It'll be great. You'll be really living. This, this is what the story tells us, right? We want life. God, God has this good plan to give us life. And just deep inside us, we're created with that desire for life. And we go looking for it in all kinds of ways because it's, it's a God-honoring desire. The problem is sin twists and distorts and damages and taints. And sometimes it's just a little bit of a, a turn and it leads us into places where we think we are experiencing life and we're just not. Eve eats the fruit. Adam eats the fruit. What does he do? Blames her. And Walter White's been doing that through the whole series. I'm doing it. He, finally, he takes ownership. I did it because I liked it. Sin tasted good felt good. And for a lot of us, there are things in our lives where we would have to say the same thing. I did it because I liked it. Because I thought it would give me life. So the Apostle Paul writes a letter to a young pastor named Timothy in the New Testament because he wants Timothy to help the people experience real life, true life. And Paul's like, Timothy, share this with your congregation on a regular basis because they're going to be tempted to try to find life in all the wrong places. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. This is is not a passage about money is awful and wealth is awful. This is a passage about trust. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. How amazing is it over the course of the last month, the campuses of hope gave over half a million dollars to refugee women in South Sudan so that they can experience life. Praise God for that. By doing this, by sharing, by using our stuff for good, we'll be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future, so that we may experience true life. So that we may experience true life. It's what we all want. We all want the best kind of life. And the invitation of Christianity is to trust God. Not to trust ourselves to discover that life on our own, but to trust God, His good plan, His future, and His hope for us. It's going to help us take hold of the life that's really life. When we're in those seasons of decay, those seasons when things are going terribly wrong, remember that's not the final act. The final act is always transformation. Act one is growth. That The reality is at some point in all of our lives, one of the reasons we're all in this room, at some point in our life, God lit a spark of faith inside us. That we experience the reality of God's love for us. Maybe we embraced it wholeheartedly in that moment. Maybe it just started this process of seeking and trying to figure out where where does that come from? Who is this God? Does God really love me? And that's why we're here. That's that first step. We're fanning into flame the faith that God has given us. Act two is decay. And again, it's a common experience for all of us. We recognize at some point in our life we are far from perfect. We would have eaten the fruit right along with Adam and Eve. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've trusted ourselves and our plans and we've gone our own way. And in the process, we've hurt the people around us, the people we love the most. We're tainted by sin. But that's not the final act. The final act is transformation. And it can be a transformation for the bad. A transformation that causes us to just keep going our own way, trying to come up with a new plan, uh, trusting in our own ability. But it could also be a transformation that causes us to take hold of the life that is truly life. 22 years of ministry, I've never met anyone who hasn't gone through a hard time, trouble, things not going the way they want it to go. And when I ask people, talk to me about the time in your life when your faith has grown the most, almost everyone will point to those seasons hardship, trouble, things going terribly wrong, and somehow in the midst of it, God showed up, and I had an experience of God's love for me. I had an experience of grace, and it was like a flood, like a a tidal wave of forgiveness, and grace, and hope, and joy changed everything for me. That's what happened to Dave Russell after his stroke two and a half years ago. Take a look. I feel I'm fortunate to have a stroke.
1: Yeah, there's some negatives to it, in a small way. In a large way, it's unbelievable. You just open up your heart, your soul, and you realize what's important, who's important, and why they're important. And you learn the little things that used to bug you, throw them away. They're meaningless. And it's the little things that help you, grab a hold put it in your heart and all your life. The world is so negative. There's a whole beautiful side to this that we don't see every day. I see it now. When you grew up as a kid, mom, do I have to go to church, you know? And, of course, it's, life is a bell-shaped curve, so I'm supposed to be like a kid by now, <laughs> but I'm not, because I can't wait to go to church. Every sermon, uh, it, it touches in here at least one song every Sunday at least one part of your sermon and it's part because you've now you focused on it where before you're distracted sometimes and so this is a reawakening and like we talked about a rebirth I've been given a second chance and it is beautiful there's a. There's still a long ways to go. I'm. You know, no one lives in a glass house. Okay. Um, but from where I was, uh, when I came home in November, or it was October, um, someone asked my wife Lisa how things were going, and she says, "All I know is I think I have a new husband." And I said, "Is that for the good?" And she says, Oh, yeah, much better. So, you know, and it's the little things. And that's what life's, people, you know, get all shook up about. They want the big things all the time. It's nice, but the little things add up. You know, it, there's a lot of things that led up to this. I think a year ago or whatever, you had a calling after service. And again, oh, well, we got to do this, we got to do that. And it did catch me off guard. So, it is, not looking for excuses, I just thought, man, I need to do this. I want to do this. Because this whole process I've been through, like I say, gives me a rebirth, a, a second chance, a renewal of my faith, my knowledge of God. And I, I guess I want to, I don't know. Conf- reconfirm with him what this is all about with Dave, and go forward. If I don't, I'll be—I've got a hole. I want to fill it. I, I want—I can't wait. As a kid, you're raised in the old school, you know, men don't cry. Be tough. Stick out that chin and be—you know. And now, I'm happy when I cry. And I cry over a lot more things because I'm happy about those things. Um, It's just a better life, period.
0: How do you get that better life? How how do you take hold of that life that is truly life, that is real life? It's growth, decay, transformation, or life, death, resurrection. So last night after the five o'clock service, Dave was baptized. And I don't know if you can see the smile on his face there, Uh, but man, what a flood of grace and hope and joy for him. And God wants it for you. God wants it for all of us. And so, We're going to invite you to come and be baptized if you'd like, or to renew your baptism if you'd like. We encounter God and his love in the waters of baptism.